Hello friends, this is Michael Bohm with Youth Apologetics Training. Uh, today we're going to have Carl Tykrib of ForcingChange.org on. Uh, again, Forcing Change, that's an online magazine. Carl Tykrib has been on once before. Uh, we talked about uh, Freemasonry. Today we're going to talk about transformational festivals. Uh, now, these are happening all over the world. Uh, this is a little bit new to me, and I think it's going to be a little shocking to you guys. But this movement is sweeping the youth of, of the United States, Canada, all over the world. Really, these events are happening. Some of them are, are really large. I mean, we're talking one of the more recent ones, 360,000 people in attendance. Guys. I mean, that's like instant city just popping up out of the dirt. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we're going to be talking to Carl Tykrib. Again, that's with ForcingChange.org. And so with that, Carl, welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Well, it's good to be with you again, Mike. So, Carl, last time we talked, we talked about Freemasonry, and uh, we got into some interesting occult subjects, in a sense, uh, Freemasonry being... Uh, boy, it's it's a subject in and of itself. I mean, we really got down and dirty with that, and uh, I got a lot of good feedback on that series. But now we want to talk about transformational festivals. Now, they've been going on, sounds like they've been going on all over the world. And, and I didn't take this very seriously until I started hearing just how big some of these are and the, the philosophy slash worldview that's being pushed in these festivals. Can, can you tell my listeners, what is a transfer, transformational festival? Yeah, no problem. And I'm going to quickly back up on that just briefly. Um, Mike, I, I do quite a bit of research on, on globalization. I mean, that's, that's my forte is, is understanding uh, the trends of globalization. And, I, and in the past, I've focused a, a tremendous amount of, of time and attention on the political side of one world, the religious side of one world and the worldview that underlies all of it, that being oneness, that we're all connected, we're all interdependent, man, nature, and God, we're all one. And and so I've spent quite a bit of time focusing on the political, the religious, and even the technological side as, as it relates to transhumanism. But if this worldview, if this idea of, of oneness is a dominant worldview, and I believe it is the dominant worldview, if it is, then you're going to see it also express itself in culture. And that's what transformational festivals are all about. It is the celebration of oneness. It is the celebration that we are one world, one humanity. Uh, we are coming together uh, under the umbrella of, of, of oneness, uh, under the umbrella of, of creating a new myth, a new reality, a new, a new ethos, a new way of looking at the world. And it's done in, in ways that are, it is, it is celebratory, it is exciting, it is appealing. And I can definitely see the appeal of transformational festivals and transformational events. One, one thing your listeners will, will need to understand is that there's a wide range of what these events look like. There's no real model for one to fit into. You have everything from, from events like Burning Man, which has a, a heavy emphasis on art, uh, organic community, uh, the, the celebration of, of, of human inventiveness and imagination. Uh, and it, it could be as, as, as broad as that, or it could be 
uh, all the way to to uh, uh, concert events like Tomorrow World, which is which just happened uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, where it's a concert and and as such, uh, it's not simply just a music venue. But while the concert is is the main feature of it, it pushes a worldview, and and it does so from the very beginning to the very end. And the organizers understand that there's a worldview being expressed in the concert, and the worldview being oneness. We're all one. We're all one human family. We all are. We're all celebrating our global interdependent cosmic oneness together. And now we're looking to to birth this. Uh, to model this as a way of, of existing and, and to infuse this uh, around the world in our cultural thinking. And I guess on the other side of, this, of, of the pendulum swing, you have full-blown pagan, pagan uh, uh, conferences, full-blown pagan events and gatherings, uh, and some of them have been around for a long, long time. Uh, and and they, those events have been gathering steam as well as, as the pagan side uh, really expresses oneness, no holds barred. And so I've been working on the, these, these aspects of cultural oneness, cultural globalization, and the expressions of it. I've been exploring this now for, oh, I guess a few years already. Um, but last year, I finally dived in last year and wrote an extensive essay on this particular topic. And I did that last, uh, last August 2013. And, uh, it got circulated, and I didn't think much of it. I thought, okay, this probably isn't resonating with people. But in a little while, all of a sudden I was receiving emails, Facebook comments. People were saying, you know, this is my son. This is my daughter. Uh, this was me. I was involved in this. And I realized very quickly that this is something that is sweeping the world. It's certainly sweeping the United States and Canada, my country. And it, it has a ton of energy, a, a ton of enthusiasm, um, a, an amazing amount of, of appeal for our young people. And in fact, a lot, of, a lot of people express this as a new spirituality for a new generation. And it is being done in the form of dance, ritual, sacred spaces, uh, the music floor, uh, and the whole sense of this experience, an immersive experience where you're not just uh, an observer, you participate in the change, you participate in this, in this immersive, uh, mythical type of atmosphere. And the, the intent is that it does change your worldview. It does change the way you think about God, yourself, nature, humanity. It's meant to, to transform your consciousness. And it does that very effectively. Oh, wow. So by oneness, uh, you're talking about uh, more of like a pantheism, maybe even panentheism type worldview yeah. where uh, uh, we are all a part of God. God is within us. Uh, what is that? Namaste. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, sorry. I, we were talking about how I was up in Boulder earlier today. Boy, in Boulder. Everybody's got to have a Subaru and either a sticker on the back that says tolerance or a sticker that says namaste. <laughs> the divine in me blesses the divine in you. <laughs> but um, so is that basically what you're getting at there, that we are all one, we're all part of God, there is this God consciousness within us. Right. Perhaps you might even call it the Christ 
Christ consciousness. Right, right. And, and one thing that transformational festivals do is they is promote and and advance that idea. You experience it. You get the feel of it. There's a flavoring of that. And this is something that organizers have recognized. Uh, participants, they they admit it. They recognize it. They talk about it. They gush about it. Uh, that we are we are experiencing our divine. We're encountering our divine. And we are now blossoming in that in that self-realized divinity. Um, this is something that there, it, it's not hidden. It is, you don't have to dig too terrible deep to find uh, conference organizers and participants, uh, transformational festival organizers and participants who hold to that line of thinking and indeed shape the entire event and, and the and, and the interaction around that event uh, through that lens. Of of, uh, of of our own divinity, our oneness of, between oneness between man, nature, and God. Wow! And not everybody might that goes realizes that that is that 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 that, that, that is the intent. Uh, for some, they're just going for the music. They're just going for the conference. Uh, pardon me, not the conference, but the 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 experience that that uh, ecstatic expression of of reality. Uh, and they're going with with the idea of we're just coming for the concert, we're coming to to party, to dance, and to have a good time. Um, and this is something organizers have recognized too. A lot of them are coming for that concert experience, but they're leaving. They're leaving having been immersed with a new reality that there's a sacred side, a spiritual side, and that this concert slash festival has uh, has facilitated that for them. Interesting. Now you, boy, now I can't even remember if you said this before or after we started recording, but you talked about Tomorrow World right. just took place. Uh, I think I read that there was uh, 360,000 people that attended. Yeah, that, that was Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland has... Oh, okay. The, the, the two are different, though the organization, the, the, the company that hosts them is the same. Tomorrowland is the event that takes place in, in Belgium. And it is a massive, massive music festival. Uh, this, this summer they had 360,000 people that came for two weekends. It, it sold out un, in under an hour. Last year's, wow. uh, last year's event uh, pulled together 180,000. It was only held on one weekend. And it sold out in apparently one second, or just a little less than a second, as 2.2 million people oh. jammed the lines at the same time, trying to secure one of those 180,000 tickets. That's insane. It is insane. But that demonstrates the, the enthusiasm and the energy. And, and indeed, Tomorrowland has its own globally chartered uh, airliner, uh, and, and planes fly from cities around the globe, bringing people into Tomorrowland. What's fascinating is, is that this is a concert. That's the bottom line. It's a music concert, but from beginning to end, it expresses oneness. And in fact, it does so in ways that you just cannot ignore. Uh, it opens up with a, with a myth. Um, the entire thing creates a myth-like atmosphere. You're, you've entered the world of imagination. You've entered the world of a new myth. Uh, there's so much symbology within within the the concert itself, and then also the pre-concert and the post-concert follow-up. Uh, it's inescapable. Even between the different sets and the different different uh, uh, musicians in the concert, 
uh, you have you have the stage, which is, sometimes is a massive sun uh, sun face or a book face. I mean, these are massive, massive stage settings, and and they're literally like they're coming alive, and it tells you all about how we're all one. And, and the world needs to come together in unity, global oneness. I mean, they don't hide it. That's what this is about. But you're coming to oh, party, wow. you're coming to dance, you're coming to immerse yourself in the music. And at the same time, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you're being fed something, you're being preached to. Yeah, it, it, I was reading that uh, the stage actually interacts with the crowd. It that, does. That, that son will teach in between sets, um, yeah, it'll teach about oneness. Uh, th- okay, that that's fascinating to me. And okay, well, okay, I've been to a lot of rock concerts in my time, and I've never seen uh, or heard of anything like that before, mm-hmm. where you actually get that type of of, of indoctrination that happens. Well, uh, I, I also was. Well, go ahead. I just could say that that's not the only one. There and this is what makes transformational festivals, especially those that have a musical component or the, where music becomes the backbone to it, it makes it so interesting in that in that the stage itself is a part of of your interaction. It's not just simply a place for musicians to put their their sound equipment. The stage is interacting with you. You are interacting with the stage. There is art, art installations placed around you. There are workshops you can go to, depending, of course, on, on which festival you're attending. There are seminars. There's yoga tents. Uh, some places there are sacred spaces. In fact, in a lot of transformational festivals, you're going to have sacred spaces. Uh, some will have temples. Lightning in a Bottle has a, has a temple of consciousness. Burning what, that. what do you mean by a, a sacred space? A sacred space is a place where they will put a little shrine. There may be maybe Buddha images, a place that's oh. supposed to be the, set aside for meditative, spiritual connections, a, a, a place even where you can go and do yoga, do group yoga, involve yourself in group ritualistic performances. And, and they don't, they, I mean, that's what that, they describe it as. This is a ritual. This is a, a sacred ritual experience. And so that's part of, of these events as well. Not all, not all, like, again, Tomorrow World and Tomorrow Land. That's the concert side of it. That's the music with still that driving driving ideology of oneness, whereas other ones, like Lightning in a Bottle in Southern California, bringing together 15,000 people, is noted for its sacredness and sacred spaces, uh, its temple of consciousness, a place to come and, and connect with the cosmos, with the oneness of mankind, uh, I mean, so there's a full spectrum of how the message is coming forward. But what's interesting, Mike, is that it's not that this is just a message that's taking place there at these transformational events. What's interesting is that organizers and people involved in this movement recognize that what really is happening is that they are simply mirroring what's already taking place in society. What your neighbor, your family, your friends, your co-workers already accept. And they're simply mirroring this, modeling it, and now experimenting and exploring what this new world looks like. Oh, wow. I also heard that some of these festivals are incorporating... Um, did you hear about that that uh, craze about eye-dosing a while back? Uh, kids were using... There's some kind of... 
binaural beats and types of music that actually induce altered states of mind. Uh, in fact, almost like they were taking some kind of a drug. I've heard some of these festivals try to take that same mode by using certain types of music that really induce altered states of mind. Uh, you know, that, that's new. I, I, I haven't seen or explored that side of it. I do know that, that uh, uh, drugs and altered states of consciousness uh, go hand in hand and that the experience of the rituals, the, the shamanistic experiences that take place, is all about creating an altered state of consciousness, a, a new world view that all goes with it. Uh, so that wouldn't surprise me in the least. Some, some of these events are very open in terms of, of the, the goal of having a, a change of mind and an altered conscious experience. And some of them, things like you know, uh, Burning Man, uh, is well known for, for the drug culture that's a part of it, for, for the drugs, the, the, uh, uh, the substance issues that come along. And so uh, that wouldn't surprise me in the least that, that what you're describing would, would be a part of some of these events. Uh, what is Burning Man? Oh, golly. Mike, Burning Man is an event that's been around since the late 1980s. It started in 1986. It started off with just simply burning an effigy of a human on the beach of, of uh, San Francisco, partying with a few dozen people. Um, and then from huh. there, it ended up catching the attention of, of different people and different organizations, including the Cacophony Society. Um, and and it grew, it grew and grew. In fact, at one point, all of a sudden, they, they realized they didn't have the space they needed. Uh, and, and to be frank, they had too much police attention. So they ended up going to the deserts of northern Nevada. And uh, since the early 1990s up until now, it's seen pretty much steady growth. This year's Burning Man event had uh, approximately 70,000 people that came to it. Um, and in the 1990s, it was almost completely a bohemian-type type of, uh, of an encounter, uh, clothing optional, uh, burn stuff, blow stuff up, shoot stuff, do drugs, <laughs> I mean, just go crazy, in fact, I know people who were uh, embedded back then when, when it was still kind of the Wild West, since the year 2000, and particularly in the last eight years, it has, it has gained a, a remarkable sense of, of cultural identity, now it's about the art it's about the the conscious experience. Uh, yes, there's the clothing is still optional. Yes, there's still lots of drugs. Yes, there's still craziness. But the but the entire thing is wrapped up in this experience of of modeling a new way of looking at reality, modeling a new conscious experience. Uh, and so you have art installations that speak to it. You have you have lectures and workshops if you want to attend those. Theme camps that are all about oneness. And uh, actually, theme camps about almost anything under the sun, including all kinds of, of, of sexual experiences, if you're interested in things like that. I mean, it is wild. It is, it's a crazy party. But it's a party now with a purpose. And that purpose is the transformation of people's thinking to accept a new worldview. And uh, what, what is interesting is Burning Man, in the last number of years, has incorporated a, a very phenomenally uh, accepted temple structure. They just don't simply burn the effigy anymore. They, the, the, of course, that's what they do. They burn the effigy on Saturday night. This year was a hundred, I believe, a hundred and twenty foot high effigy with the arms outstretched above the head of the man, and they burned it on on Saturday night. And, and my wife and I have watched a live feed of the event for a number of years. 
Um, and it's pretty exciting. Lots of fireworks. There's fire priests, <coughs> fire dreamers, fire virgins, um, fire gases. I mean, it's it's very Bacchanalian. It goes back to the to the idea of of here is a wild, um, ecstatic, ritualistic kind of encounter. And so that's the flavoring of it. On Sunday, they burn the temple. And it's, it's usually a very large structure where people all week have poured out their grief, their emotions, uh, spent time meditating, putting, putting trinkets and, and pictures and different things in there that have meant something to them in a personal way. And so on Sunday, when they burn the temple, it's a very different, it's a very different mood. It's not partying, it's not wild and crazy, it's quiet and somber and serious and sacred. Mm. So this, you know, that's, that's kind of gives you a bit of a sense of, of, of Burning Man. But Burning Man, is, Burning Man is, is one of the more important ones because it, it became a trendsetter for how a lot of these other transformational festivals would look. And uh, it's, it's, it's not just simply uh, an important trendsetter. It has now become a place where Fortune 500 companies come. Google goes to Burning Man. Facebook goes to Burning hmm. Man. Second Life goes to Burning Man. Uh, Silicon Valley goes to Burning Man. Huh. And, and what are they doing there? Well, it's basically a week of do whatever you want. Um, it's a week of art and art installations, of big music and theme camps, um, a place where you can you can dress up, you can be something that, that only your imagination can conceive of, um, and you spend a week partying and living in this alternative universe. This alternative. But, but what, what, what is Google and Facebook, what, what are they up to when they're at these events? Oh, it's understood that, that Burning Man and events like Burning Man, but especially Burning Man, that this is the cutting edge of society. This is the cutting edge of culture. This is a place, oh, you know, this is a place to interact with people who will give you a sense of where the market will be going. But this will give you a sense of where society will accept or not accept some of the ideas that you will put forward as a company. And so it's a place, even for companies like, like Facebook and Google, to experiment, to model, uh, to question, to ask, uh, to spend time interacting. And there's even been a wide-open recruitment right there on the spot. Um, huh. So it, it's, it's not just a place for, for hippie types. This is, this is, this is mainstreamed already. Okay, so in your opinion, how influential are, is this movement? Oh, hugely influential. When you're having the numbers that, that we've been describing, it's, it's not fringe. Um, when you have 70,000 people coming to the desert of northern, northern Nevada, that's not fringe anymore. When you literally have a city that, that is birthed out of the desert, that's not fringe. When you have 2.2 million people like last year all vying for one of 180,000 tickets, um, that's no longer fringe. When you have 360,000 attending this year's uh, double weekend Tomorrowland, that's not fringe. When you have 140,000 people uh, jamming the, 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 the venue outside of Atlanta, Georgia for Tomorrow World, that's not fringe either. When you have 17,000 people going to the Fairy Festival on the East Coast, again, 17,000, that represents really sizable numbers. The fairy festival. Oh yeah, in fact, that's some of the nuances of the transformational movement 
is that you have, as I said earlier, a wide swing of, of how these festivals and encounters look, from, from simply concerts that incorporate the theme and the message of oneness, like Tomorrowland, to the weird encounters and the surreal landscape and the surreal experiences of Burning Man, to things that outright accept and, and uh, play with mythological elements. And so there are a number of fairy festivals across the U.S., uh, including the West Coast, uh, where the point is that you dress like fairies, you, you dress like elves, you dress like otherworldly uh, mythical beings, and, and there's a worldview built around it uh, of, of expressing yourself and connecting with, with nature divinities, the spirits of the earth, the spirits of the trees, this type of thing. Wow, I, I see where the the, the tie-in to, to to both well Eastern mysticism as well as uh, elements of Wicca. Oh yeah, here. Yes, yes, that that does exist. That all exists as part of it. Um, I have to clarify something. This spring, I gave a lecture, the first of a series of lectures I've given on the rise of transformational festivals, and and again, I came to this trying to find the cultural side of how oneness is being expressed. I understood the political, the religious, the economic, uh, the transhuman side. I understood it from from the side of, of uh, esoteric groups, things like Freemasonry and Theosophy and Rosicrucianism, all the studies that have gone into it. But in trying to, in trying to understand the, the cultural side is how I, I kind of bumped into the transformational festival scene. And yes, I understood that there was a uh, I understood Burning Man was a huge part of it, but I didn't really realize how how pervasive and how how global the phenomena was until last year when I started digging around. And then this this spring, I still I still only saw things in in kind of only partially how it was being uh, fleshed out. And so when I gave my first talk on this subject, um, my first and my second talk, I, I believe as well, I was describing this to my audience that that. You're seeing about 120 to 150 of these events worldwide, which is a pretty fair number. But Mike, I was wrong. I was really, really wrong. There's not 120 or 150 of these events. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, potentially a thousand or more. And I, be I have started uh, an undertaking, a project where I've been using Google Maps, uh, started pinning just the ones in North America. And already, already um, sections of Canada and the U.S. have a pile of pins. I, right now, I'm just looking. I open up the uh, uh, the Google Earth project I've got going right now, and just your state of Colorado, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, and I've got about oh uh, another six or so needing to be pinned with explanations given for for what the events represent. Um, they're all uh -huh. over the place. That's that's why last this last year, or pardon me, 2013, one of the organizers for Burning Man described the whole transformational scene and 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 especially the role Burning Man has played. Described it this way: that demand far outpaces supply. Oh, man, boy. See, when I was younger, uh, people talked about things like the Rainbow Gathering. I don't know if that's anywhere affiliated with this. Absolutely. And that was a big deal. It was really hard to 
get to it. It was it was a challenge to be a part of it. Right. And if you were somebody who actually got to go to one of these rainbow gatherings, boy, you were like, you were the chosen seed. I mean, <laughs> you know. And, 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 uh, yeah, and in fact, the transformational scene recognizes rainbow gatherings as simply one one piece of the of the entire uh, package. Definitely. Interesting. Yeah. Because rainbow gatherings are preaching the same thing. Uh, and they're just doing it in the woods of the backwoods of, of, of the national park uh, in different parts of the U.S. every year. Uh, and you're right, it's hard to get to, and sometimes it's even hard to find out where they're being held. So what, what we're seeing here is it's, it's more of a, a postmodern worldview. Um, it's very spiritual, so uh, more of that modern uh, um, look on, on the world where evolution is king is not really something that's embraced in these festivals. It's very spiritual, very uh, uh, pantheistic. The God in me right. uh, is mixing and becoming one with the God in everyone. Right. And which, they, they view this as an evolutionary step forward. Uh, they definitely will, will hold that position. Um, what is interesting is that this is going beyond already the postmodern mindset. And that's something that I've been flushing out and, and have done so listening and, and interacting with individuals uh, who have been writing about, about these transformational events from, from uh, the side that supports it. And what, what's interesting is with postmodernism, postmodernism rejected modernity. Modernity was all about materialism, secularism, uh, and postmodernism basically rejected that, but postmodernism didn't have a framework to attach itself with. It was huh. it was about searching. Uh, truth was subjective. Your truth sure. is your truth. My truth is my truth. Um, it didn't really have any type of grounding. Uh, there there was Eastern Eastern um, mystical uh, aspects to it. The idea of, of spirituality was being explored. But it really, when you took a look at postmodernism, it, it really is almost a baseless, a baseless way of thinking because you you weren't attaching yourself to something that was grounded. It was it was experiential, but but not with 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 any sense of real purpose or meaning. These festivals and the festival goers and those who organize and put these festivals together, many of them recognize that this that this is now. Um, the expression of the next epoch. We've, we're going beyond postmodernism. In fact, we're going beyond it because now we do have a framework. Now we do have something to ground ourselves in. We do have a purpose. It's no longer just uh, groping and, and, and rejecting everything and at the same time trying to experience everything. No, now we have something that we can tangibly grab hold of. And that is the idea that man, nature, God is one. It's, it's a grounding upon earth, um, earth-based spirituality, uh, a human cosmic unity. It, it, they, it is finally a recognition that what we are really doing is involving ourselves with the re-enchantment of society. And that's the terminology that they're using. They're saying, we're not postmodern. Postmodernism, yes, we were birthed out of it, but now we're, we're entering a new epoch, and it's, it's the idea here of re-enchantment. We are now experiencing, tangibly trying to experience a new myth. 
we have not we've now gone post postmodern. Yes, yes, we have. <laughs> yeah, and that's how that's how they describe it. Oh wow. Yep. Interesting. Now, uh one subject that I would love to get into someday with you uh is is transhumanism. Is there a tie in? Uh, there's certainly somewhat of a tie-in. Uh, some transhumanists uh, recognize Burning Man as, as an example of, of a transhumanist way of viewing the world because Burning Man, particularly Burning Man, is an event where you're looking to escape the bounds and, and supersede the bounds of normalcy. You're looking to create not just simply a new individual, not a new human, but a new human experience. And so there are, there are transhumanists who will look at Burning Man as an event that demonstrates, <coughs> I mean, demonstrates the idea of going beyond ourselves, um, grasping for something higher than ourselves. There is um, one transformational event, I believe it's in North Carolina, that is geared towards uh, almost, almost exclusively the technological side of, of, of transhumanism, uh, the philosophy of transhumanism, the birth of all of this within a festival setting, where there is all the components of a transformational festival, and it is geared towards the, the, the advancement of, of mankind through technology. Huh. Interesting. And it has that festival component. It's called the Moog, it's called the Moog Fest. The Moog? Yes, the Moog Fest. I believe it's in Asheville, North Carolina. Huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm on uh, Facebook's Transformational Festivals community page mm. and I'm, I'm blown away just scrolling down the page just how many of these are out there that I mean it's just an one ad after another of different transformational festivals and, and that's their terminology transformational that's right that is their terminology I didn't make up the word that's their language I'm using it in this conversation we've been having. I've been using as much as the, uh, of their language as possible because uh, it speaks volumes. Huh. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of uh, pictures that look very, um, for a, a lack of a better way to say it, very drug induced. <laughs> uh, looks like a lot of uh, drug people. I'm seeing uh, aura paintings. Yes, that's, that's uh, you know. Inside. Uh, uh, stuff that looks very Eastern mysticism slash uh, Buddhism, uh, some fairly sensual-looking stuff. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's um, a lot of that. Man alive. Yes. It, it really People need to put together. some clothes on. It really blends together uh, a variety of different aspects uh, that, that we in the West, if we would look back in terms of our tradition, our Christian, Judeo-Christian values, we look back and go, okay, that doesn't fit the Judeo-Christian framework. In fact, it's, it's really the exact opposite of it. Um, and, and that includes the acceptance of Eastern mysticism. Um, the, when you discuss the artwork, there's so much artwork that's involved. And I love art. I, I enjoy artwork. In fact, I, I, there's a number of variety of, of, of artistic expressions that I find very, very interesting. Um, but here, art is, is one of those one of those vehicles that is being used to express this this new imaginative reality, this new myth, uh, the going within and experiencing the, the divinity uh, of, of humanity. Um, so yeah, 
that, that, and this is something that people need to realize. It's not just about the dance. It's not just about the music, because people get hung up on that. We've always had dance. Mike, we've always had music. We've always had parties. We've always had community coming together. Uh, we've always had art. What we're seeing here is the integration of all of these different strands in a celebration atmosphere. And, and the expression here of celebrating our oneness through these different vehicles. And, and it becomes simply just the, the conduit uh, through which the message is driven. And again, this is why it's so important. What is the worldview all about? Uh, what is it preaching? What is it teaching? What is it trying to convey? That's more important necessarily than just simply the fact that there's electronic dance music or that there is interactive stages or interactive art. Or, or visionary artistic expressions, we have to ask, okay, what is it that you're selling me? Huh. And when we ask that and explore that, we realize, oh, all of these events have a commonality. And, and it could be, I mean, the events themselves could be very diverse, but there is always a commonality, and that commonality is we are one, we're now seeking to, to experience that oneness, we're, seeing, we're seeking to, to advance and push and propel that oneness through our celebration. You know, with, with all of the conflicts that are going on in the world uh, that are sparked by uh, religion, well, okay, I'll just throw it out there. With all this going on with, with Islam right now, they're on the far end of one spectrum right. of fanatical, fundamental uh, faith, okay? cutting people's heads off and uh, all of the, the violence that's been going on, the bloodshed. And then on the other far end of the spectrum is these fundamental Christians that hold tight to their belief systems uh, and, and uh, call sin, sin, and, uh, you know, trust, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I, I see this, this potential conflict going down here where... Uh, as the world gets fed up with fanatical Islam, all faiths are going to get lumped together, and there's going to be this time where we all just want to become one. We want to uh, basically reject anything that is exclusive, uh, has, has exclusive truth claims, um, and go with a tolerant uh, uh, one-size-fits-all faith, and I see these transformational festivals where a lot of our youth are being swept away by it, quite possibly could be part of that vehicle that gets us there. Yes, yes. In fact, that's interesting that, that you bring up Islam because um, Islam has a, a faction that does speak to the idea of, of, a, of a mythical reality, uh, uh, a more mystical union, and that is Sufism. Sufism uh, as as a an Islamic um, an Islamic generated uh, belief structure really is all about connecting uh, with higher principles, the higher divine, on and on and on. And so you even see elements at some of these events uh, where Sufism is, is is placed the symbols. Uh, the, the, the imagery of Sufism is placed within some of the some of the, these these uh, festivals that we've been talking about. Uh, Tomorrowland uses Sufi imagery quite often uh, in some of the trailers, and you and you're going to see, huh. see see little elements of Sufism uh, pop in and out as uh, as you watch some of the trailers for Tomorrowland. 
Wow, fascinating. So, and I also heard at Tomorrowland, um, you were to uh, uh, place a mark on your right hand. Uh, it, it was like it's a bracelet. It's got a, a kind of an, an eye of Horus on there, the illumined eye. And it, it's kind of your, it's, it's a cashless society. You show up with this bracelet on, and any purchases you want to make, you do it with your bracelet, probably an RFID uh, or, or smart card type technology. Um, that's kind of interesting, too. Have you heard anything about that? Um, there's a little bit, yes. There, you know, there, there's so many things that these festivals, uh, especially the ones that are more technologically driven, like Tomorrowland, um, where they all incorporate some pretty interesting technology. Uh, again, we talked a little bit earlier about the stages and so on. The, the bracelet side of it for Tomorrowland, yes, you, you purchase a bracelet. It's a unique bracelet, and this this bracelet uh, gives you access to the festival, to campsites. Uh, it's, a, it's a bracelet that it's not just simply a... Um, how do you say this? It's not just simply an identifier to say, hey, you know, I bought my ticket, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it, it's a little bit more than that. It's supposed to help um, connect you in, give you a, a sense of identity. Uh, in fact, you can even order it. They'll have a nice little box that it comes in. Um, you know, that, that it goes beyond just simply an identifier to say, hey, yeah, I bought my ticket. It's more like... Uh, uh, it, it becomes something that that connects you to the event and allows you to remember it in a way that's, that's very tangible. Um, technology, the technology of some of these some of these events, uh, it ranges in everything. It ranges all the way from from massive, moving, interactive stages, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal technology in terms of lighting, sound, even the organizing of it, all the way to events like like the rainbow gatherings, which are not technologically driven at all, which are literally going into the woods and getting lost in the bush, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> you know, a real mix, a real eclectic mix. But again, why, why then we have to study this and try to understand it is so that we can, we can grasp what each of these events are trying to say, what they're preaching, and again, right from Tomorrowland to the rainbow gatherings to Burning Man, to lightning in a bottle, uh, to lucidity, to the universal religion, uh, trance dance festival in Nepal, um, all the way through. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of these events. Again, what the worldview here is, is that we are all coming together as one, and we are celebrating that as a, a type of mirroring of where society already is at. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, so, Carl, what, what do you suggest can be done to uh, push back. Hmm. Uh, that, that's interesting. Uh, I would suggest here a couple of things. Number one, don't go there with bullhorns. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hell. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> the thing is, I, I know people who go to some of these types of events uh, and, and, and go as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and the one thing that in talking to them uh, comes out is is there there is a fear there is a fear that Christians will push back against these events and will do so by attacking the event and attacking the individuals who go to these events and doing it in a way that is maybe truthful but not loving 
going with bullhorns or going with a placard or trying to boycott or, you know, making it very obvious. And the fear is that in doing so, all we're going to do is strengthen the stereotype that already exists with those people. So what do we do? Well, I have friends and I have contacts who do go to places like Burning Man and the Holy Festival in Salt Lake City uh, and, and in some of these other different venues. And they're going literally to rub shoulders with the people. Uh, regarding Burning Man, they're going and handing out bottles of water. One of my contacts is a, a friend who goes and he's, he spends time changing tires on the side of the road when people have flats because of 70,000 people coming in and out, things happen. Um, he's handing out bottles of water. He hoists huh. an Israeli flag um, with his tent just outside of the city gates a couple of miles away. Huh. That itself becomes a lightning rod for people. And <laughs> people come and ask, what are you doing here? And it opens up all kinds of conversations. Um, and when he changes tires or when he hands out bottles of water, people are asking, you know, what are you doing this for? And, and, and it creates an opening. Uh, and he's had some fascinating conversations. Um, I have friends who go to the Holy Fest in Salt Lake City. The Holy Fest is a transformational event that takes place in one of the largest Hare Krishna temples on the planet. And it's, it's one of the largest ones outside of India, and it's in, just outside of Salt Lake City. And so they go to witness, as Christians, they go to witness to Mormons, because it's predominantly Mormons going to the Holy Festival, I mean, oh, wow. in Salt Lake City. They're going yeah. to witness to the Mormons who are who are participating in a in a openly Hindu Hare Krishna holy festival. I mean how twisted is all of this? Huh. So they go they go to interact with the Mormons who are there and to go up alongside and say, Hey dudes, uh why are you here at a Hindu festival? Uh, obviously you're searching for something more. Let's let's have a little conversation here. Let's let's talk about you know, maybe the real Jesus. Yeah, yeah, amen to that. Yeah. And to, you know, all those situations where, you know, many of my listeners out there, I'm sure many know people who are going to these festivals. Uh, what do you think about, uh, or, or what what do you suppose would be a good approach to talking to these people and saying, hey, I know you've gone to these festivals, uh, and, and trying to perhaps um, snap them out of this oneness, well, frame of mind. Well, you know, that's a tough one. Um, I, when, I, when I was at the, the Colorado Springs uh, Prophecy Summit this, this summer, and I gave my presentation on transformational festivals, afterwards I had at least six different individuals come and say, hey, that's my son. That's my daughter. Uh, I had one individual that came and said, yes, I, I go to Burning Man. I've been to Burning Man. And yes, this is, you're right. This is what we see. This is what, this is what happens. Uh, in other conferences that I've, I've given similar lectures, uh, another one that took place just in British Columbia earlier in the summer, I had a, a lady who was in tears because while her daughter was brought up with, with Christian values in a Christian home, uh, she was now openly rejecting it because she's now encountered a new spirituality, a new ecstatic, exciting, uh, inclusive, non-judgmental spirituality in in this in these celebratory transformational festivals, and so Man. it was heartbroken because it was ripping her whole family apart. Um, it was ripping her whole family apart as her daughter was rejecting Christianity and accepting this other other side. What it boils down to, Mike, is 
and this is something I've had to explain to people over and over again, it, it, it becomes a very personal thing because you're realizing that individual lives are being affected, souls are being affected, and how can we then approach them? The only thing we can do is we can pray, we can continue to love, and we can continue to give them truth. But it's important to be able to give them truth and love at the same time, lest we drive them further away and wedge in deeper. And so sometimes that may mean we say strong things, but we do so in such a way that it, that it is validated through acts of love. I think the best model we have for this is Jesus Christ with the woman at the well, uh, where the woman at the well is of another culture. He, uh, Jesus goes to where she is. Jesus doesn't condemn her. Her own sins condemn her already. And, and he engages in a very provocative, uh, very powerful conversation with her without sometimes even giving away everything about himself like up until the very end. And then finally he's there, you know, he's there it is. Um, you, you can either accept it or you reject it. That's, that's the uh, option that the woman at the well inevitably runs into. And so I think that that's, that's one area, that's one model that we can use. And if it's, if it's the model of Jesus, then it is the model that we need to look at. Um, and the other one is Paul, Paul at Mars Hill. Yeah, where, yeah. Where he's encountering the trend centers of the day. Paul understands the worldview of Athens well enough. He can quote their own poets and philosophers. He leverages their own worldview to open up a conversation and bring about the truth of Jesus Christ, the character of God, and the nature of man. But he knows their worldview well enough that he can interact with it. He didn't wait for them to come to him. Yeah. Yeah, he used their worldview uh, as a conversation starter, and he, he swings toward the supernatural, and then he jumps into the gospel. Right, right. Um, and along the way quotes their own poets. Yeah. So he, was, he wasn't ignorant of, of the time and the place that he was in. I would suggest in all of this, there's a model here for us to use, and that's the model of Jesus with the woman at the well, and that's the model of Paul at Mars Hill. I think if we can understand those two models, we begin then to have uh, a framework to be able to approach oneness, uh, transformational events, transformational festivals, and more importantly, transformational thinking that happens already within your families, your neighbors, and your communities. Again, these festivals are simply a mirror of what already exists all around us. Mm. And that's why it's important to talk about these events, but to realize that really what it boils down to is it means that we have to be a Christian witness right in our own communities because that's where it begins. It's, it's interesting, too, because... Uh, th these festivals seem to be a mirror of, of just society as a whole. Right. Uh, we live in a world where everybody wants an experience now. We, we're, I, I think our senses have been overloaded. Uh, we watch too much TV. We've got all these video games we can play. There's the Internet. I mean, we're, our sensors are, are, are always being overloaded. And a faith where you just quietly sit in a church is no longer appealing. Uh, we want to go and experience something. We want to have a fanatical experience. And and you see that also manifest with more of the, the hyper-charismatic types who uh, they don't want to just go and learn about the Lord and read the Bible and worship God. They want to 
have a, a powerful experience where they're twitching, left twitching on the ground, and then you have the emergent church on the other side who wants to experience God with a very ultra-mystical experience uh, with somewhat of a postmodern mindset where they question everything and answer nothing. Um, it's, it's just interesting to see this this transformational festival phenomenon playing out because, yeah, I can see where our society would just be drawn to that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and, and that's why a conversation like this is so important. Um, the emergent church, it fits in a way with transformational festivals or at least transformational culture in that there is at least two events Two transformational-like festivals. I'm not going to call them transformational festivals, but they're like that. That are that that are incorporated within the emergent church experience. One of them takes place uh, <laughs> on the U.S. East. Uh, it's called, I believe, it happens in uh, North Carolina. I'm not quite sure. I know it's in one of the Carolinas, North and South. Uh, forgive me at this point. I just can't remember. It's called the, it's called the Wild Goose Festival. Uh, and while it doesn't incorporate trance dance music, it doesn't incorporate some of the other elements that take place in, in certain transformational uh, festivals and events, it does seek to look to change and transform your way of thinking. And uh, this year's Wild Goose Festival had a fair amount of, of workshops and lectures on um, um, gender alternatives, um, accepting same sex, that type of thing. So there is a, a transformative element to it in that it looks to change um, what we would see as traditional biblical norms uh, and accept the emergent church paradigm. And the emergent church paradigm is really very much uh, geared towards the idea of oneness. We're all part of a global human family. We're all interconnected. We're all interdependent. It's the same language. And that's maybe because it's taken from the same playbook. Um, I, I've read Phyllis Tickle's material. She's, she is noted as a major emergent thinker. Uh, her, her terminology, her language, her ideas very strongly parallel Barbara Marks Hubbard, who was one of the most, and is still remains one of the most important um, New Age thinkers who speaks yeah. openly about oneness and the need for global oneness. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that, that there are some of these parallels, these side-by-side -side comparisons. They, they exist because I believe that, that ultimately they, they incorporate the same philosophy. Uh, one, one is antagonistic towards Christianity. The other one says we're about Christianity, uh, and yet, yet gives a different operational structure. Interesting. Huh. And then I, I think another poll that, that I'm seeing here is the... A whole idea that, well, back in the garden, Satan said, uh, you shall be like gods. Right. And, boy, it sure is enticing to think, wow, I am divine. Now, you know, I, I always am shocked when somebody thinks that way because, I mean, hey, it, hey, look, man, you're wearing glasses. Uh, you're getting a little gray. I noticed you've got some allergies going on. Uh, there's there's a tooth broken back in there. Right. You're not right. healing yourself. What's going on? You're getting older. Uh, it, you know your your mother just passed away. Why didn't you stop that? The, you see, what I, I always am shocked by that. It, it, it no, we're not divine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, I'll use myself as an example, but I'll use one other, uh, <laughs> one other person, the Dalai Lama of Tibet. Uh, a number of years ago, in 1999, I went to a couple of, of his of his major lectures and, uh, and and went to some of the lectures that centered around the Kola Chakra uh, rituals that took place in in Bloomington, uh, Indiana. And the Dalai Lama explained to us uh, that that he had seen millenniums come and go, and that. Uh, what he was saying to us, in essence, was that there was a divinity to him. And, and this is something that I've encountered lots of New Agers, uh, that we are looking to experience our own divine self, this type of thing. And, and at the same time, the Dalai Lama was telling us about his poor eyesight, his pimples, and he was surrounded by U.S. Secret Service. And I thought to myself, if you're divine, if you're God, um, this doesn't look too good. I mean, the, the model here seems seems to be a broken, fallen humanity. Mike, if I'm a god, um, <laughs> why, why did I forget that piece of information and now have right. to be taught this? Um, I right. mean, what kind of a god am I? If I if I bought myself at the god store, I have to take it back as defective. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It, hey, it, if we're all gods... And as pitiful and messed up as we are, we're all still gods. What is God, what does the word God even mean anymore? <laughs> I mean, we've watered it down to that extent. Well, hey, we're all gods. Uh, okay. I know. I mean, what does that even mean? I know. At that point. Yes, it, 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 it gets to a point where where it, it enters into a very strange, uh, very strange reality. What what is fascinating though is that oneness is the dominant worldview. It is the it is the core of all ancient myths, and it's the core of our modern myths. What is fascinating is that there is a, that there is a different worldview. There is an alternative worldview. And the very fact that this alternative worldview exists, and that this alternative worldview speaks not just against oneism, but by its nature, by, by its composition, is completely opposed to oneism. It is the exact opposite of oneness. The very fact that that exists means that oneness itself is illusionary. Because if oneness is the only worldview, if that truly is what we are, well, then there would be no other alternative worldview to it, uh, especially one that at its very core, at its very essence, is other than oneness. And that other worldview comes through one source and one source only, and that is the Bible, the Old and New Testament, where God is not part of a great oneness no he is separate he is distinct he is transcendent he is exalted he is beyond and outside the created universe in other words there is god and then everything else peter jones of truth exchange ministries describes it as twoism god and everything else what oneness says no god and everything is, uh, is all the same and, and so here we have one diametrically opposed worldview, one written within Scripture from the very beginning when God creates heaven and earth with his own, with his own voice. He brings it about. He does it as somebody standing outside literally of time and space creating something. He is transcendent. He is not being controlled or manipulated by time or space or by human actions. Not at all. Not, not in, not, nothing at all that we can do can manipulate him. And yet, in the oneness worldview, especially in the old myths of it, it was all about trying to manipulate the gods and the goddesses 
to to achieve certain actions and certain demands. No, no, the biblical worldview is, speaks out ex- exactly opposite of the oneness worldview. And that's where the real crush, that's where the real conflict happens. That is why Christianity expressed as exclusive truth through Jesus Christ is not acceptable in the transformational worldview. Because it speaks to something, uh, not just simply that there is an alternative, but that that, that that alternative, by the very fact that it exists, demonstrates that oneness is a fallacy. Right, right. This idea of oneness is, it's uh, in a way, it's an attempt to escape uh, the concept of sin. Right. That we've all fallen short, that we all uh, have sinned against the Holy God. They they refuse to accept that. Uh, and it's more of, no, we're all gods. And uh, somewhere along the way, we must have all lost our oneness. oneness. We must have forgotten that we're all part of this one. And now we're all just trying to realize it again and pull together as, as pieces and parts of the same God. Right. Uh, it, it, well, it's, you know, it's interesting, too. I think I believe I, I've heard uh, our new Jesuitical pope even make some comments as of recently. I wish I had those quotes, but make some comments that were very oneness oriented. Yes, and well, and just a couple of weeks ago, there was a great big uh, interfaith uh, celebration and and conference that took place in South Korea, um, all about bringing the world religions together because God is one and we are all one as part of God. I mean, this is this is the way of the world. This literally is the world way Uh, when we're we're told not to be of the world when you take a look at the worldview of the of the pagan the pagan worldview that that was there in existence around the ancient israelites all of the pagan worldviews spoke to this idea of continuity or oneness at its very core it spoke to it yes there was nuances and and there's complexities to it but really when you boiled it right down to its essence it was all about this idea of continuity man nature and god were all one and we're all if we can manipulate it, if we can ritualize it, if we can experience it, we can actualize it. Um, that was there then, and this is the same thing taking place today, which is why Ecclesiastes is so true when Ecclesiastes says there is nothing new under the sun. Mm. It's the same it, it battle. It goes all the way. It seems like it goes back to the Tower of Babel. Yes, it does. Uh, you can... Yes, it mm. does. So... I, I know that a lot of what we've been talking about here is hard for listeners to grasp. If you've never heard this stuff before, it seems bizarre. It seems out there. It seems really complicated in some ways. Um, I would suggest uh, take the time to do a little bit of homework. There are some very interesting and well-done video presentations on transformational festivals. Uh, one advocate of it, G.K. Long. Uh, gave a TEDx talk in Vancouver, British Columbia a couple of years ago. It's available online. It's a very good introduction to transformational festivals. Uh, I would certainly suggest people watch that. It will definitely give them uh, some of the sights and sounds without necessarily having to, to, to wade through a lot of the garbage that's out there. Because uh, even things like Burning Man, again, there's a lot of clothing optional stuff. Sometimes it's hard to find just imagery that, that doesn't have, you know, somebody's skin showing somewhere or right. just some craziness. Um, but there are some good there are some good resources. 
uh, to try to understand these events. And, and like I said, last year in, uh, in August 2013, I put together a report on the subject. People can certainly grab that report. Uh, you can find it at forcingchange.org if you're a member. You can download a copy of it for, um, or, you know, put it on your computer, share it, send it out to friends and neighbors and, friend and family, and especially, especially to youth pastors, because this is a youth-generated uh, movement, though all demographics are potentially a part of it, but really youth are, are, are captivated by it because it is geared towards that exciting, ecstatic experience. And again, I understand that. In fact, I can totally, I can totally get why why people and especially youth are drawn to it. I can totally get that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's it's a full, uh, all-encompassing experience. Right. Uh, right. So, speaking of forcingchange.org, uh, friends, uh, Carl Tycrib does have a magazine. It's an online magazine, forcingchange.org. Uh, you got to check out his website. There are many free articles, uh, and, and then of course, if you would like to subscribe to his online magazine, it really it comes down to about fifteen cents per day. So it's it's pretty pretty well priced, uh, about fifty five a year, and uh, a wealth of information. Uh, Carl doesn't, as you guys saw today, he doesn't uh, he doesn't fall short on information. He really does his research. And uh, a great magazine, a great resource. You guys really should check it out. Um, well, Carl, it, it has been a pleasure. This has, once again, uh, you've delivered very interesting information. And, uh, boy, this is a subject that we really need to keep an eye on. Um, I can see where this is going. This is not going away. No, it's not. I don't see this going away anytime soon. No, no. That's why organizers of Burning Man last year said demand far outpaces the supply. One thing I think that would be very interesting to do, I don't have the resources. Hey, if somebody that, that's listening to this wants to underwrite a project, here's a project. I, I would love to look at uh, somebody, myself, or I don't care, somebody else even, but somebody who's got their finger on this uh, on this movement, go and do some social spiritual surveys at these events. It would be, I think, Mike, it would be eye-opening to see how many come from either church backgrounds, how many know something of Christianity, or maybe even how many know nothing of Christianity, uh, simply believing believing uh, what they do about it without really understanding it at all. I think it'd be very interesting to see what worldviews people have going into this and what views they've had and they have rejected um, uh, as part of these these, uh, these encounters at, in these festivals. I think having some on-the-ground social spiritual surveys uh, would, would be a real powerful tool for, for the Christian community to grasp uh, what's actually happening in the minds of people going to these events. Wow, amen to that. Well, that's idea. a great idea. Yeah, it's an idea I've been floating around with. I have no idea how to go about, and, and well, I, I know how to go about doing it and how to engage in it, but, uh, yeah, the resources are beyond myself. If somebody had the resources to do this, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Go to five or six of these events, Burning Man being one, and uh, begin to, to draw comparisons and, and have a fuller understanding of how these events, uh, particularly how these events, uh, are being are being accepted by Christians or by people who've rejected Christianity? Why they've rejected it, and what worldview is now being uh, being the replacement? 
Uh, I think it would be a good eye-opener for the church because I have a strange feeling, and it's not simply a, a feeling based off of, of just a, a gut reaction, but one from uh, from listening to different interviews and spending time interacting with people. Um, there's already a lot of folks who go to these events who, who have had a church background. Interesting, yeah. It, it, with intel like that, boy, that would be so valuable. Yes, it would. Yep. In, in understanding what makes this group tick and potentially how we can reach out to them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, mm. it's just, it's an idea. If somebody wants to grab that idea, take it and run with it, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, if somebody there already says, ah, you know, as, as my Bible college course uh, requirements, I'm supposed to do some type of, of survey work, there you go. Run, <laughs> run with it. Just send me, send me the data, and I'll give you credit. And I would love to be able to spread it far and wide because we need to understand this. I was, I was thinking suspicion that this is something that, as we said earlier, isn't going to go away. And eventually, we're going to find that our youth going to our churches, are uh, the youth of our own families, our neighbors, um, they, they will, they will make their way towards these events because this, this represents a very exciting way. Of, uh, of having having the worldview of oneness actualized, uh, not just simply talked about, but now experienced and lived out in very exciting ways. Hmm. All right, guys. Well, you heard it. Uh, if anybody out there wants to contact Carl Tykrib, forcingchange.org, and, uh, uh, yeah, put something together. Boy, that's a great idea. So, yeah, Carl, boy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity of being on your show. I really, I really appreciate the time that we could just spend talking about this very important topic.